anyway, it's time for our kids' uh, sermon here this morning. So if uh, we could have some youngsters come front, that'd be nice. How's your shoulder doing? Is it getting better? It's good. So I have a show-and-tell item here. It's not really a very nice one, though. It's this mouse trap, right? You want to try and stick your finger in there a second? Oh, oh, no. <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell you what. So that we don't need to be afraid. See, it's not set, and it's not going to snap, and it won't do that again unless I lift that part up, okay? So it's safe, right? But the question I have is, like, how would you catch a mouse? You know, right? Well, you know, are you going to go through the house and are you going to say, mousy, 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 mousy? Is that going to work? Yeah. <laughs> That's probably not going to, what do you think? Maybe. Maybe, maybe. So, kind of the idea here, you know, uh, is to, to put a little special treat right on there, right? And when the mouse eats it, whammo, right? This little neck breaker thing comes down on him, right? So, uh, well, yeah, he might be able to unset it. But see, now, the thing with mice is that mice aren't particularly clever, right? So it doesn't take too much of a... Uh, too much cunning, that is, too much craftiness to get after a mouse, right? But what if you were trying to trap a smarter animal? Oh, excuse me. Oh, excuse me. Maybe you could chase it. What if you were trying to catch something as smart as a person? Probably you wouldn't put up a big sign that says the trap is over here, right? You, you know, you, you'd, you, it would take a little bit of deceit. That is, you're going to have to lie a little bit here, right? Like you're kind of lying to the mouse when you say, hey, look at this fantastic piece of cheese here, right? Because your goal isn't really giving the mouse a special treat, right? So, <clears throat> one last question here. Do you know how to catch a unique rabbit? What do you think? Yeah, how do you catch a unique rabbit? Well, you, you sneak up on it and grab it. <laughs> you, you sneak up on it and grab it. <laughs> So, believe it or not, and this is the, what I want to talk to the big people about today, um, one of the ways that the Bible talks about the devil is that he lurks around trying to trap us. He actually lurks around like a lion waiting for someone to devour. Does that sound very nice? Nah. Um, but do you think he's going to catch us by putting a big advertisement out there that says, come get caught. Probably not, right? If you know you're caught, actually, by not even realizing that you're caught, isn't that kind of the best trap of all? 
Because, you know, people aren't going to be so dumb as like if there was a really big box trap with a stick in it. And I don't know, what would you use to bait that $100 bill in there or something like that, right? Nobody is going to be so dumb as to go in there, right? Yeah, well, maybe they could lift the box up. I don't know, but, you know. Anyway, why don't I chat with the big people for a little bit today, and I'll safely put the mouse trap away so it doesn't... Are you sure you don't want to try that out? <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for playing along with me this morning. So, so. <clears throat> now, this reminds me of a story, and it turns out that this was 20 years ago. I just worked this out today. I can't believe time has flown by that fast. But we were on the beach one, uh, one summer day, and the water was kind of cold, so the kids and I were digging this big hole in the sand, just sort of for fun, no particular reason. And uh, actually, we ended up getting down about six feet till it was all said and done, and just kind of digging it by bare hand. But there was a little boy next to us that kept coming over and saying, well, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, you know, we would holler down in the hole in Chinese, you know, ni hao, ni hao, you know, in Chinese and, you know, and trying to get this kid going a little bit. Well, eventually his mom, who'd been sitting there playing a, on her phone or something, I'm not sure, she came over and said, what are you doing over here? So we said, well, we're digging a hole. She said, well, well, what are you doing that for? So being the wise guy I am, uh, <laughs> I said, well, we're going to stretch a beach blanket over it and see if we can catch dumb people. <laughs> um, next thing I know, I see this woman over at the lifeguard pointing back to me. <laughs> So maybe she was one of the ones that she thought we were trying to catch. I'm not sure, but <laughs> anyway, um, that aside, you know, the verse from today's reading, actually there are two interpretations on it. It says, it is impossible that no temptation should come, but it's also sometimes translated as it's impossible that no offense should come. And I want to focus in on offense here for a second. Again, you know, uh, because I'm kind of in a series on that right now. But offense is actually described by the Greeks as a trap laid for a person. And that's why I want to steer it back toward offense. Actually, the Greek word for that temptation or offense is scandalon. And we get the word scandal out of this in English. But basically, a scandalon is the tasty bait stick. It's that piece of cheese on my mousetrap. It's whatever it is that lures somebody into temptation or into offense in this case. And I think offense is a good way to translate it because immediately after Jesus says that it's impossible that no offense should come, he goes into kind of a dissertation on forgiveness. Forgive your brother. You know, forgive your brother, even your brother sins against you seven times in a day, forgive him seven times, right? But now, I also want to take a look back at this bait stick idea for a second here. 
And, you know, as I was saying to the kids, it takes kind of a certain amount of craftiness to catch an animal. And the smarter the animal, kind of the craftier you need to be. And I want to kind of jump off into a story that Mark Twain used to tell. And it goes like this. In Twain's story, if you catch a hundred red ants and a hundred black ants, and you put them in a jar, and you screw the lid onto the jar, nothing happens. But if you shake the jar, the red ants will begin to kill the black ants, and the black ants will begin to kill the red ants. They blame each other because the jar was shaken. They blame each other for the disaster. And my contention to you today is we need to figure out who is shaking the jar, right? Because we tend to hold other people totally responsible and into even a higher degree of responsibility than, than we hold ourselves even. The Bible refers to temptation and offense as a trap laid by the devil. The devil's snare. Did you hear in the second gospel reading that in order to free ourselves from the devil's snare? Well, a snare is basically the the rope that you yank and it gets the ankle or whatever the animal you're trying to catch, right? Um, Christ sets us free from the trap of sin and Satan is out there actively working to recapture us. And worse, he's cunning enough, we let him do it. From the reading from 2 Timothy 2, which is actually just before what we read, so that God will grant them repentance so that they know the truth and they will come to their senses. And what do they do when they come to their senses? They escape the snare, the trap of the devil having been captured to do his will. Do you hear this? When we step into this trap, we're captured to do Satan's dirty work. You know, Christ set us free. The devil recaptures us. And we don't even do what we need to do to set ourselves free because our feelings were hurt. You see, this is really about pride. Pride makes us think that somebody else can't be accountable enough or they really need to pay. They need to pay for what they did to me. But does our offense, and and by the way, so we convince ourselves that and we're unwilling to forgive, but don't we pray every week that we're in here that we would be forgiven in the way that we forgive? I mean, think about this a minute. It's bad enough that somebody victimized you. And sometimes people do victimize you in a really serious way. But, you know, you're going to then let that person occupy space in your head. You ruin the good things that come. And what? Risk that you're not going to be saved? You're not going to be forgiven? 
So we're convinced not to forgive, and we remain offended. Does our offense really accomplish anything? Is there anything we can do better when we're angry and offended with somebody that we couldn't accomplish if we weren't? And, I, I, you know, there's a British comedian, his, his name is Steve Hughes, and he does a thing on offense, and I love this because he says, well, I, and, and I was offended. Well, all right then, so you're offended. So what? Nothing happens, right? You know, and, and Hughes takes it kind of to another level. He says, and I was at the comedy club, and the comedian told a joke about the Lord, and I was offended, and I woke up the next morning with leprosy. Well, you know, obviously that doesn't happen, right? Offense doesn't get the job done. By living with offense, we allow the offender to continue to keep us trapped. And, and more importantly, we put Satan in control of our hearts. From our gospel reading in Luke 17, think about this. The disciples, well, immediately before that reading, the disciples had just witnessed the multiplication of the loaves and the bread. But that's not what causes them to seek greater faith. What, what does that, where they stumble is this. You know, no, no, in, in, in spite of seeing and having seen miracles like no one else has seen, the disciples cry out for greater faith when Jesus calls them to forgive. If your brother sins against you seven times in a day, forgive. And here's where the disciples say, Lord, increase our faith. They're, they're not saying, wow, did you see we just fed 5,000 people? How did that happen? Lord, increase our faith here. No, it, it's on this one. And so again, I ask, what can we accomplish with bitterness, offense, anger, that we couldn't do better without it? Satan is in control of our heart. He takes the place of Christ in there. When we and, and destroys love if we remain in this trap. When we do Satan's work, we spread the cancer of offense. And, and you know, I, I, it looks something like this. This is particularly worrisome for me because now we live in an age again where you hear people tell you, well, I was offended. I'm offended. And, and sometimes... Don't get me wrong here. That's an appropriate thing to say sometimes. Look, if somebody here, if I offend you, I want you to come to me and say, you know, Vaughn, you offended me there. Because chances are we can work that out because it's highly unlikely that I'm setting out to do that, right? So it's appropriate sometimes to point that out to somebody. But to be blanketly offended, to live in a, in a nation of offense is very worrisome. You know, in the 30s and 40s, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German Lutheran theologian, and he described Nazism this way. He said that the people were won over by offense, and they became superior in their thinking. Because they were the offended. They were the victims. They had the right. No one else could have experienced it the way they did. 
And, and Bonhoeffer went on to say that because of this, the people's level of pride and arrogance rose to a point you couldn't teach it out of them. In other words, learning more, education, didn't fix Nazism. You couldn't shame it out of people. You couldn't call people to be ashamed of how they thought and their prejudice and their action. You couldn't do that either. The only thing that worked, as Bonhoeffer saw, was on the battlefield because people had become so offended they were willing to die in their offense. You know, we're unable to function optimally in offense. We don't live under Nazism, fortunately. But we still pick up these offenses. And when we do, the Bible describes the offense as sort of sprouting into a root of bitterness in our lives. <clears throat> this is why we, we need to forgive. This is why Jesus is prompting us. Forgive. Readily forgive. Forgive, even when it's hard, forgive. But yet, we know offense is going to come. We're told that it's going to come. And yet, when it does, aren't we all shocked and surprised when it happens to us? I mean, knowing that it's going to come, shouldn't we be prepared for it instead? You know, look, you've heard it said too that if any two people spend enough time together, certainly they're going to offend each other at some point, right? They're not going to agree on everything. No two people will. And offense can kind of be broken down maybe into two categories. I mean, there's true offense where somebody really does get victimized. But then there's also this offense where in your mind you perceive that you've been a victim. So in that case, offense is very subjective. That is, it varies from person to person. What somebody can say to me and it might bounce off, I might not be able to say to another person and expect the same thing. And so we get stuck looking for fair. Victimization certainly isn't fair. That's true enough. But no life comparison is ever fair. I remember as a kid complaining to my father about life not being fair, and his response was always the same. Fair is what happens at the edge of town once a year. It's not reality, you know. And, and I think in hindsight, that was wise a wise way of looking at it. But our pride cloaks our responsibility in this offense. You know, especially when it comes to subjective offense. It keeps us, pride that is, keeps us from realizing deep down that we are the ones that are in control of how we think. That it's us It's us that controls how we handle offense and set ourselves free from it. And if we want to avoid this trap, we need to set ourselves free from it. We need to realize who is shaking our jar and never allow him in the driver's seat of our heart. We need to quit comparing and making excuses or waiting for others to be sorry enough to offer that forgiveness. 
You know, in the second Timothy two verse, we are under a delusion here. We need to get out of this delusion, and it's this pride that keeps us in this delusion. If we could just see that, you know, even if you imagine the worst way someone else has victimized you, chances are nature is going to do worse. You know, so let's get a grip here. Let's come to our senses on this. When I say nature is going to do worse, tell you what, I'd rather go through it again with the friend that betrayed me and stole a couple thousand dollars from me. I'd rather deal with that than cancer. And certainly, none of us is living in a holocaust right now. So by historical comparison, the sorts of things that we're talking about here aren't really huge. And yes, it's unfair. And it's unfair that if I were the victim of, victim of that offense, that I should need to offer this forgiveness. That's unfair. But yet it's me that it sets free. And it's in my control to do it. You know, in Revelation 3, the people at Laodicea see themselves as healthy, rich, finely dressed, and in need of nothing. And this is what pride does to us. But two verses later, we learn how God sees them. God sees them as wretched, miserable, poor, and naked. And perhaps this dim view is actually a blessing in disguise because it enables us to view one another on kind of an equal footing. Look, we need to learn to truly love one another. For this reason, we reread as our responsive reading this morning, 1 Corinthians 13. It wasn't an accident that that was in again this week. Um, but part of that comes from before. And 1 Corinthians 8 says that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. It's a lack of love that feeds this offense. You know, Merrill frequently reminded this congregation that Jesus loves you, and so do I. And now that falls on me to do, and I truly do. I, you cannot stand in this position up here and try and spiritually lead people without also loving people. But so here's the challenge. This week, envision somebody, maybe even somebody in this, in this very room, with whom you've had an offense. And get rid of that offense. Forgive it. Forgive them. Do what you need to do, but move on. Get out of the trap.